Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Aren't you glad we serve a God who reigns? Amen. In every circumstance, in every situation, Jesus reigns supreme. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for worshiping with us today. I would invite you to open up with me in your Bibles. Hopefully you have your Bibles today to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26 is where we're going to be this morning. If you're new to Destiny, I want to say welcome. Thank you for being with us today. My name is Pastor Matt, and it's a great honor to have you worshiping the Lord with us today. And we're going to spend some time in God's Word, uh, studying it, reading it, because we believe that the Bible truly is the Word of God. Amen? Oh, Destiny Church. We truly believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Amen. Yes. Amen. It sure is great to see every single one of you. And I know that you're here today because the Lord's working in your life. And He's working in each one of our lives, wherever we're at in our journey with the Lord. Uh, he's there. He's always good. He promised to never leave us or forsake us. And the Lord is here. His presence is here. His spirit is here today. And he is uh, truly working in our lives. And so as we go through this passage of scripture today, uh, my prayer for you is that uh, your walk with the Lord would increase, your love for the Lord would increase, and that you would even have more clarity on, on what it means to live for him in, in this day and age in which we live today. So Acts chapter 26, um, let's just pray and we're going to jump right in. Father, we thank you for your word. We do know that it is your word. It is God-breathed. It is inspired by you. Lord, though the, the, you used human authors to, to write the words down for us, we affirm what uh, the scripture says, that all scripture is inspired by you. God-breathed. And so, Lord, as we come to your word, we don't come as uh, so somehow experts to, to stand over your word in judgment. But, Lord, we come humbly as uh, your people, Lord, submitting to your word, uh, submitting to, to you as our God. Lord, speak to each heart that is here today uh, through your spirit, Lord. Uh, use my words to communicate the great truth of your word, that you would press it down deep into our hearts, that it would bear good fruit in your life. And, Lord, good fruit for your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, Acts 26, we've been in Acts for uh, a long time, basically, at this point. Uh, started in chapter 1. We're in chapter 26 today. We're going to look at the whole chapter today again. and Not again, but a whole chapter of the Bible again. And I want to just catch you up on, on where we're at. The Apostle Paul is in prison. He's been in prison for two years. He's been falsely accused of crimes he did not commit. There are men who are opposing Paul because they oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ. They oppose the truth. They oppose the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. They oppose the message that he died for sinners, that he rose again on the third day to give new life. They are opposed to that. And so because they're opposed to that message, that also makes them opposed to those who proclaim that message. And Paul, throughout uh, the, since he's been saved for the last 20 years or so, he has been the loudest, one of the loudest mouthpieces for that message. And so he has been constantly opposed as he proclaimed and preached that message. Finally, about two and a half years ago from where we are today in this story, he was arrested, thrown into prison. And he stood trial after trial after trial after trial 
uh, defending, not himself, but defending the message of the gospel of Jesus. And so once again, he is now on trial. Uh, last week we read how a great uh, uh, assembly had gathered, uh, a king named Agrippa, a governor of Rome named Festus, all of these military generals, they had all gathered, come into this great assembly hall with all of this parade and this pomp and this showiness that they came in, uh, you know, thinking that they were, you know, important people. And here now they put Paul on trial and he is there in chains. And that's where we pick up the story today as he gives his defense. And it says, the king, Agrippa, verse 1, said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. Remember that he is in chains. He said, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Now, I have to be honest with you, it was my intent uh, to summarize this passage for you because week after week uh, recently we've gone through and read through entire chapters of Acts. I thought, you know what, I think the people are getting a little bit tired and weary. I'm going to give them a break. I'm going to summarize Acts 26 today. And then this week as I was studying it more closely, this part where Paul begs us to listen patiently to him I said, I think we need to heed the words of the apostles. I, I don't see how I cannot do that after he begs us. So I hope it's okay, but we're going to end up reading the whole chapter today. Even if it's not okay, we're reading the whole chapter today. So I'll read through it. Then we're going to pull out some, some truths uh, a little bit deeper beneath the surface today. So he says, my manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by the Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many, many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only not locked up Many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. And at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and around those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, 
I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. So I stand here testifying to both small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, that by being first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to both our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said, that's the Roman governor, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words for the king knows about these things and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but all who hear me this day might become such as I am except for these chains. Then the king rose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Paul here standing before this great cloud of witnesses, this great group of people assembled together, this large assembly, and put on trial, he stands and he gives a defense, not of himself, but of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And from this defense that he makes of the gospel, there's, there's three truths that I want to pull out for us today and, and highlight for you. And the, four, the first is, I, I just want to show you and highlight for you the transforming power of Jesus, the transforming power of Jesus. When you look at who Paul was, when you, you look at his resume, it's quite impressive. You know, Paul talks about the fact that he grew up in Jerusalem and, and that he was trained according to the, the strictest 
regiments of, of, of Judaism, that, that he was a Pharisee. And, and earlier in Acts, Paul had testified that he was trained under the most prestigious and brilliant scholar of the Jews, a man named Gamaliel. And that under Gamaliel's training and tutelage, Paul excelled and, and even exceeded his own peers, that he was a, a 4.0 student, he was a straight-A student, that, that he was a brilliant mind, and, and that he advanced and advanced quickly among the ranks of the Jewish leadership and, and the Jewish leaders there in Jerusalem. And so, on one hand, we, we are impressed, his credentials are impressive, his, his manner of life was, was astonishing, his, his rise, his meteoric rise uh, growing in, in popularity and fame even among uh, the Jewish people was impressive. But equally as impressive is the passion with which he persecuted Christians. It says here in uh, verse 12, uh, verse 11, that he, he punished them from house to house and in synagogues and, and he tried to make them blaspheme God and that he persecuted them in raging fury. That's his own words. Raging fury. You know, there's only been a few times in my life where I've seen someone act out in such a way where I said they were acting in raging fury. And the few times in my life where I have seen that, it, 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 it's scary. I mean, it, it, to, to see someone lose complete control and, and totally give themselves over to rage and anger, it, is a, it, it stops you in your tracks. And Paul is saying that he lived his life every day with this passionate pursuit to snuff out Christianity, to, to persecute those who believed that Jesus of Nazareth was Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, raging fury. So on the one hand, impressive because of his credentials, but also impressive because of his single-minded devotion to trying to destroy Jesus and the cause of Christ and those who believed upon Jesus. And as Paul presents his, his background, his testimony, and, and he talks about how the, that even the Jews who are now trying to see him killed are, are the very same people that he used to be a part of. The people who would hear, have been there gathered that day and, and heard this story and heard this testimony, they would have been sitting there saying, well, well what happened to this man? How, how did this man go from being a, a persecutor of the church, living in raging fury against Christ, to, to now being someone who preaches and proclaims Christ and, and who believes upon Jesus. What, what happened? How did he change? And Paul begins to tell the story that he was traveling on the road to Damascus and at noontime when, when the sun is brightest and the sun is hottest, all of a sudden on this particular day there was a, a light shining brighter than the sun that appeared in the sky to him. The light was so blinding and it was so bright that Paul fell on his face, face in the dirt. Cried out, who, who is this? What is this? Who, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Paul tells the testimony, he tells the story about how Jesus, the risen Christ, 
the Savior of the world, spoke to him, appeared to him, and saved him. That what transformed Paul was not his own self-help. He didn't get a Tony Robbins tape. He, he didn't get some guru to, to, to teach him tips and tricks on, on transforming your life. It was Jesus Christ and the power of the resurrection that transformed Saul of Tarsus into the Apostle Paul. And the beautiful thing that the Apostle Paul shows us and teaches us and even proclaims as he's preaching his gospel is that no one is beyond the saving power of Jesus Christ. Because if God can save Saul of Tarsus, he can save anybody. If God can save Saul, and not only just kind of save him, but you always wondered, is he still, is he, is he saved or not? But, but to utterly transform him from, from darkness to light, a, a complete 180, putting on display his power in this really broken Vessel, the power of Christ. If God can save Saul, he can save anyone. No one is beyond the saving and transforming power of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bible, flip over with me to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, Paul talks about this as he writes to his young son in the faith. Starting in verse 13. Paul says, formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent of the church he's talking about. He says, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is true and trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost of sinners Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And as Paul reflects upon, as he's writing these words, that, that day when Jesus appeared to him, that day when Jesus saved him, that day when Jesus called him by his grace and love, he overflows with a heart of gratitude and worship. And he says, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul here writing to Timothy, he says, I was the chief of sinners. I was the foremost of sinners. We hear that language and we tend to think that maybe Paul is, is being hyperbolic. Maybe he's kind of hyping things up. Maybe he's just speaking in such a way to, to sort of amplify his message. But I would submit to you that I think Paul is being literal here. I think he is literally saying, I was the chief of sinners. I was enemy number one of the church. No one persecuted the church as much as me. No one wanted to see it stamped out and put to death as much as me. I, I'm not, I don't think he's being hyperbolic. I think he's being literal. 
I was the chief of sinners, enemy number one. But he goes on to say, Jesus saved me for this reason, to put on display just the depths of the grace of God, the, the inexhaustible love of God. You know, Paul writes in uh, Romans that we would know the, the length and the breadth and the height, the, 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 the surpassing volume, the, the, the love of God that we could never be separated from. What can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? Paul says, nothing. And Paul says, I was saved. God saved me so that everyone could know that Jesus can save anyone. Anyone. No one is beyond the saving power of Jesus Christ. I told this story in the first service, and I've, I've shared this story with you many times. But it just illustrates and, and underscores this truth. My grandparents, John and Ruth Bell, who pastored this church for some 40 years, they had two sons, my dad, David Bell, and my uncle, Nathan Bell. They raised their sons in the ways of the Lord. They taught them the word of God. They were phenomenal parents. When my uncle Nathan became an adult, he ran away from the Lord. He chose not to live for the Lord, but to live for himself. And he ran away from the church. He ran away from his parents. He ran away. He, he tried to get as far away from God as he could. He even left Texas. That shows you how far he had fallen. He even left Texas. And day after day, my precious grandma, Ruth Bell, prayed for her son, Nathan. Not a day went by that she didn't intercede, stand in the gap, go before the Lord, and pray for the salvation of his soul. I remember as a young boy when we would spend the night with, with my grandparents, I would be awakened in the night, I would be awakened even in the early hours of the morning, to the sound of my grandmother crying out to God to save her son. I get up and kind of peek around the corner and, you know, it's totally pitch black, dark outside. It's, you know, the sun hasn't come up and she's there kneeling at her bedside, tears streaming down her face. God, save Nathan. God, redeem my son. God, bring him back to the foot of the cross day after day after day. For 20 years, she prayed for her son, Nathan. And one day, just like God appeared to Saul, God shined his light, not physically or visibly, but the light of the gospel into the heart of my uncle Nathan. The Holy Spirit once again convicted him of his sin, and, and he came and like the Apostle Paul, fell on his face before the Lord. And God not only saved my uncle, but he, he redeemed his life. Not just salvation, but redemption. My uncle, as he ran from the Lord, he ran from the call of God on his life to be a minister. He, he went into construction. Well, God redeemed that. 
my uncle Nathan, he, he built this building that we're in right now. He, he, be, he became a, an architect and a contractor, and he, he built this building. Many of you came and helped him build this building. I remember we used to have work nights, and we'd come and hammer nails, and many of us helped build this building. I wasn't old enough to do anything of value, so I just ran around and made messes, but I was here, you know. That counts for something. And after a season of time, the Lord put it on my Uncle Nathan's heart to go as a missionary. And he, he went and built three orphanages in China, rescuing kids who had been thrown away, redeeming their lives, teaching them the Word of God, raising them in the Word of God, discipling them in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God used his life in a powerful way to, to profoundly, I believe, sow seeds for the kingdom of God that will bear fruit in that nation. Why? Because a mother kept praying for her kids. A mom kept praying for her kids. And what, what does this tell us? It tells us that we should pray for the souls of the people that we know. Parents, pray for your kids. Grandparents, pray for your grandkids. Husbands, pray for your wives. Wives, pray for your husbands. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your aunts. Pray for your uncles. Pray for your parents. Pray that God would save their souls in a radical way, in a 180 way, in a from darkness to light kind of way. Pray that God would get a hold of their hearts, that, that he would set their path on a way of, of living for him just as he, he set Paul's feet on a, on a new path. Not a, not a path of, well, are they saved or are they not? But a, a path of following Christ, living for Christ. Pray, intercede, stand in the gap. You know, I, I, I believe, and I, I can't prove this from Scripture, but I believe that every salvation is an answer to prayer. I believe that. I believe every time someone is saved, it's because somebody was praying for that person. Now, I can't prove that from Scripture. But, but my life experience has, has shown me, as I've talked to people and heard their testimony, and time and time and time and time again, their testimony is so much like the Apostle Paul. I was running from God. I was going my own way. I was doing everything I could to run from God. But I had this mom who wouldn't stop praying for me. I had this grandma who wouldn't stop praying for me. And I don't know what it is about the moms and the grandmas the, you know, that were praying. I don't know where the dads and the grandpas are. But I thank God for faithful women of God who stand in the gap and pray for their kids and grandkids. Amen. It is an important ministry. It matters. The prayers of the saints. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that they, they ascend to the throne room of God like incense before him. The prayers of the saints. Pray for the people you know. Pray that God would save their souls. Last week we talked about uh, how, how we're to be praying even for those uh, who are elected officials in our land. Praying for our mayor by name. Praying for our governor by name. Praying for the president by name. 
I, I, last week I shared that we need to pray for two things, that, that they would govern righteously and justly according to the word of God and that God would save their souls. That God would save their souls. Listen, who, who else is praying for the president that God would save his soul other than the church? If the church won't do it, who's going to do it? No one. Now, I know they're doing some stuff up there right now that is, is really contrary to the word of God and really contrary to the truth of God's word. And it breaks my heart, and I know it breaks yours as well. But think about if God would save their souls. If he could save Saul of Tarsus, can't he save anyone? We got to pray, intercede, stand in the gap. Amen. I believe that's an important ministry for the church. No one is beyond the saving power of Jesus Christ. Don't give up, but persevere in prayer. That's point number one. Okay, um, don't worry. Point number two is much, much shorter, and, and so is point number three. The second thing I want to show you is, is Paul's eternal perspective, the, the mindset that he lives with. We, we talk about this a lot, and I think it's important for us because uh, we, we are, are passing through this life. This life is not our home. This life on earth right now is temporary for us. The Bible even tells us it's like a vapor. And we need to live life, not, not to just have a good life now, but to, to lay up treasure, as Jesus says, lay up treasure in heaven, live life with an eternal perspective. And we see Paul put this on display in verse 2 as he begins to make his defense. He says, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews. Now, remember, Paul has been in jail for two years. He's given defense after defense after defense. And, and, and there is no end in sight to the fact that, you know, Paul, Paul knows he's not going to be set free after he stands trial again here. The Lord's told him he has to go to Rome. And so he knows that whatever he does here today, it's not going to set him free. He's in prison for a crime he didn't commit, lies, accusations against him. Yet, here he stands summoned in chains, and he says, ah, this is going to be good. What, what, I am so fortunate to be here today. I am, what a blessing that God has me here today to be able to make a defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. His mindset is different than the mindset that we often find ourselves living with. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, set your minds on things that are above, not on earthly things. The things of this earth are temporary. They're, they're, they're passing away. They're, they're fleeting. Yet so often, even the people of God spend their lives chasing after the temporary and fleeting things of this world. Paul says, set your mind on heavenly things, eternal things. So as Paul stands there in chains, as he looks out on, on the, the crowd, even people that are opposed to him, he, he doesn't see a bunch of enemies. What he sees is souls that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And he says, ooh, what a joy. What a privilege. How fortunate I am to be here today that I get to be the one to share the gospel with these people. You see, Paul knows that God is sovereign. Paul knows that God can get him out of jail anytime he wants. Paul was in jail in Philippi and God sent an earthquake to get Paul out. Paul knows that at any moment God can set him free. And so he knows the reason I'm here, the reason I'm in this circumstance is the reason God put me here on this earth and that is to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, I'm fortunate because God has chosen me to be able to be here today. God could have put anybody here to witness to King Agrippa, but he put me. God could have sent a donkey to do it. We know that God can even use a donkey to speak, but God has given me this opportunity today. And Paul lives with this mindset that every day he gets to share the gospel is a good day. Every day he has an opportunity to shine for Jesus, to shine the light of Christ, to, to show forth the glory of God. Every day he has an opportunity to do that is a good day. I could just see Paul sitting down that night and writing in his journal, oh, what a great day I had today. What a wonderful day today was as he stands there in chains. Why? Because he's not living for the temporary, the momentary. He's not living for just this point in time. He's living for eternity. He puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, talking about the trials that he even endured as an apostle. He said, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul says we got to live for eternity. The, the things that we see are also temporary. We, the world chases after those things. we got to live for the eternal. The things we can't see, the souls of humanity, we've got to live for eternity. Every day we get to share the gospel is a good day. Whether that's in a coffee shop with a friend, whether it's at home with a loved one, whether it's at work with a coworker, whether it's at the bedside of your child, whether it's standing in chains, every day, every opportunity to share the gospel, oh, that's a good day. Eternal mindset. Not living for the present, but living for eternity. We get so distracted, we get so caught up in all of the, the things we've got to do. God, help us to keep our eyes fixed on what matters most. The third thing I want to present to you today is I want to ask you the same question that Paul asked King Agrippa. In verse 27, Paul said to King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Paul, even though he's being made fun of for believing in the resurrection, Governor Festus looks at Paul and says, Paul, you've gone mad. You, you've, 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 you're great learning, all of your reading, your studying, your education. 
You've been educated beyond your intelligence. All your, you, you've filled your mind with so much stuff that you've lost your mind, Paul. He, he, he makes fun of him in front of everyone. And, and Paul just, just says, I'm not mad. I'm not crazy. I'm making rational arguments. And he looks past the governor Festus and, and he looks to King Agrippa and he says, King Agrippa, you know the word of God. You know the prophets. You are a Jew yourself. Do you believe what has been spoken? I know that you believe. That's the question that lies before you today. Do you believe the gospel? This is what matters as Paul has this opportunity to, to, to say whatever he wants in front of this great crowd that's assembled. He doesn't use it to try to defend himself. He doesn't use the opportunity to try and get himself out of jail. He uses it to push and to press the most important question that anyone could ever be asked and answer. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? This is what matters. How you answer this question will determine your eternity where you spend your eternity. We will all stand before God one day and we will either stand before God condemned in our sin, our own righteousness, which is filthy rags, or we will stand clothed in a righteousness that is not our own, but one that was purchased for us by Jesus Christ our Lord, clothed in his righteousness. On that day, how will you stand? Will you stand condemned or approved by God? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? I'm not saying, did you grow up in church? I'm not, I'm not saying, do you go to church every Sunday? I'm not saying, you know, what, what kind of family do you come from or background do you came from? No, do you believe? You, personally, individually, you must believe upon Jesus. You must have faith in Christ. Paul said that God sent him to preach the gospel, to open their eyes so they might turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. And when you do that, you may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus. Salvation from sin, a place in the church, a place in the family of God. There's a place for everyone in the family of God. In verse 20, Paul said that he had been sent to preach that we would repent and turn to God and perform deeds in keeping with repentance. That means just live out our faith. Live what we believe. Paul presses this question to King Agrippa. And King Agrippa says, sadly, Paul, are you trying to make me become a Christian in such a short amount of time? The King James puts it this way. It says, King Agrippa said to Paul, you have almost persuaded me to become a Christian. King Agrippa Almost persuaded. Almost persuaded. What a tragedy. What a tragedy to sit there, to hear 
one of the greatest preachers the world has ever known, to hear one of the greatest testimonies of the saving power of Jesus, and to walk away and say, I almost believe. Do you believe in Jesus? I pray to God, like the Apostle Paul said, that you would all become like I am, except for these chains. That you, on the inside, at the deepest place of your heart, would say, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he is the Son of God. I believe he is the one sent to pay the price for my sin. I'm trusting in him completely for my salvation. Do you believe? You know, sometimes we can feel this way. There's that, the person that, uh, the the, the man who had a sick child and he came to Jesus asking for Jesus to come heal his child. And Jesus said, all things are possible for those who believe. And the man said, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but there are places where I I still struggle to believe. Listen, Jesus knows right where you're at today. And if you will call out to him in faith, the Bible says he will never, ever, ever cast anyone out who calls on him in faith. Doesn't matter your past, doesn't matter the baggage you have, we've all got baggage. We all come broken. We all come with a burden of sin, but we lay it at the foot of the cross, our burden of sin, our burden of shame, and he clothes us in his righteousness, his love, his grace. God is calling out to you today to repent, to come home, to believe in him. Do you believe? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus, who came, who lived a life without sin, who who died on the cross to redeem lost humanity. Lord, those of us who have believed, we thank you for calling us out of darkness and into light. Lord, like the apostle Paul, our hearts are filled with gratitude because we don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve your goodness. We don't deserve your grace. We don't deserve your love. But your love and grace and mercy has overflowed to us. And so, Lord, we say thank you. Lord, there's, there's nothing that we can do but just live for you out of the overflow of what you've done for us. Thank you for opening our eyes and and for shining your light into our darkness, for for calling us by name. Thank you that there were faithful men and women of God who who prayed for us and and even prayed us into the kingdom of God. Thank you that there was someone who who shared the gospel with us, who, who shared the truth and who led us in to the kingdom. Well, we thank you for your work in our lives of sanctification and how, how still moment by moment you're, you're patient with us and, and you continue to work with us even at times as we, 
fall short, even at times as, as we stray, you are the good shepherd who brings us home. We love you. We thank you. Lord, for those today who maybe like King Agrippa would say, I, I almost believe. You, you've almost persuaded me. Holy Spirit, right now, we, we ask for you to bring upon them the truth of the gospel, the truth of the word of God. Bring it to bear on their souls. Lord, show them the, the enormity and the, the depth of their sin and where they stand before you, a holy and righteous God. Convict them, God, of, of their sin. Or open their eyes to the only hope that they have, which is Jesus Christ. The, the, the sacrifice, the payment as, as he on the cross paid our sin in full. Make it a reality to them. Open their eyes. Shine your light into their darkness. Solidify in their hearts. Birth faith. Give faith. Right now, Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the gift of salvation. It is a gift. We can't earn it. But Lord, to whom much is given, much is required. So, so help us to live as your people with this great gift. To, to live out our salvation. To, to, to keep works that, that continue with the repentance that we have had. That we have turned from darkness to light. Help us to walk out the light of the gospel. Lord, we're saved by grace, we're kept by grace, we live by grace. Help us to live in your power and in your strength. Lord, to live as light in this dark world. To live as salt, preserving the decay we see all around us. And Lord, right now we even ask for the salvation of the souls of the people that we know our loved ones, our friends, our coworkers, our spouses, our children, our grandchildren, our families, God. Lord, save their souls. Set them free from sin. Set them free from the power of the enemy. Shine your light so brightly into their life that they can't deny it, but that they may fall on their face before you and call you their Lord. Jesus, we ask you to save them completely transform them. We thank you that no one is beyond the saving power of your grace. We ask this in faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.